0: We we seek God in the Word, we seek God through prayer, and both of these things are rooted in the Gospel that we find here uh, in the Scriptures. Gospel. This is a term we hear a lot today. People will refer to something as the Gospel truth. Uh, that's kind of like their their personal guarantee that what they're about to say is true uh, and factual. Often. In the circles that we run in, in this church, we tend to hear a lot about gospel-centeredness or gospel-centered preaching. We, we read books that call us back to an authentic understanding of the gospel. There are websites and conferences uh, that are very helpful, like the Gospel Coalition or Together for the Gospel. Um, these are, are good resources, and it, it gets Christians together to uh, discuss and preach and focus on the gospel. But what is the gospel? Uh, why is the Gospel? Why is the good news important to us why uh, why do we focus on it why um, why is why is it important that we get these truths right and if we are already Christians, why is it so important that we keep talking about the Gospel? as we look to the book of Galatians, we find the answers that we 're looking for now a bit of an introduction to the book uh, Galatians. Uh, is a, this this letter to the church in Galatia is a, a bit of a unique book. Uh, it is one of the epistles that Paul wrote to a church that he had planted, so uh, in, in that way it is similar to Ephesians or to Corinthians. Um, but Galatians is very different in tone and in content, and this is apparent right from the beginning. Uh, typically, Paul labors through a long drawn out, loving introduction where he thanks God for the church and he encourages them on the things that they are doing well. Um, We do not see that here. Uh, Here, Paul's chief concern uh, for this church is a full, accurate understanding of the true gospel. Uh, Though Paul had left this church uh, with a, a good understanding of the gospel, he learned that there have been men from outside the church that have come in and they have distorted Paul's message. These men have attempted to add Jewish law onto a proper understanding of the Christian gospel. And in doing so, they've led the church into apostasy. Uh, What we see in Paul's response throughout the book is the importance of defining the gospel and in getting it right. Uh, He leaves no wiggle room for bad theology. He hits them with this harsh reality uh, right from the beginning. Read along with me as I start in verse 1. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of God. We are going to be unpacking verses 1 through 5 this morning, but I wanted to get uh, the bigger context of Paul's letter. Um, The Galatian church, though it was once firmly planted on sound theology, has been deceived, and they are deserting the gospel. Elsewhere in this letter, Paul calls them foolish Galatians for abandoning the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. A foolish Galatians. They have abandoned the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Uh, here we see in verses 6 through 10, this is the issue that Paul is addressing. There is no other gospel. So when we read verses 1 through 5, we should understand Paul's gospel presentation in contrast to the lies and the deception that the Galatians have fallen prey to. Now, immediately in this introduction, we see Paul stake his own claim. His, his opponents, the aptly named uh, Judaizers, they have been preaching a different gospel, and it appears they are uh, challenging Paul's authenticity as an apostle. The first thing Paul does in this letter is to restate his gospel authority. He restates his gospel authority. Um, Paul immediately refers to himself as an apostle. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle. This is extremely important. Recall that in the first century, uh, the church did not have an authoritative account of the life of, and teachings of Christ. So uh, they did not have the scriptures in their fullness. They were still being written. They had the Old Testament, and they had the apostles. Uh, the apostles were the authoritative voice In the New Testament church. So when Paul refers to himself as an apostle, he is saying that he has the authority and that he has the responsibility of communicating gospel truths to the church. He and the other apostles are uniquely qualified to do this. By referring to himself as an apostle, Paul is saying that he is carrying the unquestioned word of God. And this message should be received in humility and in faith. Uh, likewise, today, when we come to the written word of the apostles, to our to our New Testament, we receive the authoritative word of God with a humble and teachable attitude, and we receive its message in faith. We understand that this word from God was delivered through Jesus to the apostles, and contained in their words is the faith that Jude tells us was once to, for all delivered to the saints. By referring to himself as an apostle Paul is telling his readers that what he is saying is literally the gospel truth. Now, from where did Paul get this authority? How, how is it that he is qualified to speak as an apostle? Uh, we, we see, first of all, where he does not get the authority from. He does not get it from men. Verse, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man." Paul does not have counterfeit authority. He, he does not have counterfeit authority. Here we see Paul um, is making sure his audience is well aware that he is neither chosen by men for this office, nor does he carry on this role of an apostle empowered by man. Doing so would be operating without proper authorization. Uh, If this office and responsibility were simply something that was self-appointed or bestowed upon him by men, his message would not carry the same weight, it would be Merely his opinion. Uh, when we read what Paul writes in the scripture, we are reading the word of God. This word was given to him, not from men. If it were from men, we could we could disregard it. But no, Paul here, uh, Paul does not look f- to man for validation or for endorsement. Also, he seems to imply here that, that the Judaizers, that his opponents that he is writing against, the, the guys that have deceived the church in Galatia, Um, and have asserted themselves as as leaders, they've done this based on counterfeit authority, um, that this authority was given to them by men. Paul is is clear here that men could not institute or appoint the unique role of apostle. God himself appointed this authority, and this is genuine authority, genuine authority. Uh, Look again at verses 1 and 2. He said, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Paul is clear that his apostolic authority was handed down to him directly from Christ. You remember the story in Acts 9. uh, Paul, then named Saul, was a major persecutor of the church. He was present at the stoning of Stephen. And in Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, he is confronted face-to-face with our risen Lord. A uh, glorious, miraculous conversion takes place, and and God sets Paul aside for the purpose of delivering the gospel to a fallen world. Uh, The Lord says in verse 15 that Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. This is the basis on which Paul speaks He does so knowing that the message that he is delivering has been given to him and authenticated by Jesus himself. When he says in verse 1 that through Jesus Christ and God the Father, he appeals to the supreme sovereign Lord as the only one who can grant such a task. And he goes on to say that the Father raised him from the dead, that he raised Christ from the dead. This, This resurrection of Christ, this historical fact, this detail that the church in Galatia well knew, and embrace. This was not only a validation of Christ's life, but also a validation of the message that he brought. This gospel that Paul proclaims was given to him by Christ, who himself was validated before the world by the Father by way of the resurrection. Paul here speaks with genuine authority. His message is identical to the message proclaimed by, quote, all the brothers who are with me. If the church in Galatia was to worship the true and living God, they had to listen to someone with genuine authority who is delivering the word, the gospel, directly from God himself. This gospel message was handed down to the apostles, and this included the Apostle Paul. Likewise, church, we must look to that same authority to receive the word from God. We, we don't look to the most polished communicator, obviously, or the wise of this world, in order to receive the saving truth that comes from God. Rather, we, we look to the reliable message from a faithful God who, who we serve, who is handed down to the apostles and recorded this message in sacred scripture. It is in the scriptures and only the scriptures that we know we can find reliable, solid truth from God. This genuine apostolic authority is found only here. It is here that we encounter God, and here where we find the object of our faith, our one and only hope. Jesus himself gave Paul's apostolic authority to him. Paul recorded Christ's message in the scriptures for us to hear today. Well, what exactly is this message? At at the beginning, we asked the question what is the gospel? Uh, We have seen here that Paul is qualified to deliver this message. He has the message from Christ to deliver. Uh, Now, now what is this? We see this in verses 3 through 5, Paul's gospel declaration. His gospel declaration. Starting in verse 3, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In this simple three-verse statement, the glory of God's salvation that has been extended to sinful humanity is contained. Uh, This very dense, compact message contains four essential truths that are the answer to the question, what is the gospel? Uh, The first thing we see is God's gracious gift. God's gracious gift. In verse 3, we see Paul extending grace and peace to the brothers in Galatia. Uh, Now, this is not just a common hello. Paul chooses his words very carefully here. Um, The grace that he speaks about, this unmerited favor bestowed upon uh, a sinful people, is at the very heart of the gospel. It is a common theme in all of Paul's letters, um, and without such grace, without, without getting what we do not deserve, we are without hope. In Romans, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To the Ephesians, he says, "For by grace have you, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. To Timothy he says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave in Christ Jesus grace uh, this is This is the gift of salvation given to us by the grace of god this This neither requires nor allows for anything to be done on our part. We are born dead, we are born dead in sin, unable. And unwilling to seek after the true and living God. We are enemies of God. We are at war with God. But by his grace, he has brought peace with God to mankind. We are unable to live up to the perfect righteous standard required by an infinitely holy God. And we all deserve death. The Bible says that we fall short of the glory of God. And we are all we are all guilty before the judge. The only reason we have hope, is by the grace of this righteous and loving and beautiful and glorious God. Christian, remember, we have been awakened to the truth found in Christ only by God's grace. This gospel, this gracious gift was given to us. This was not obtained by us. We should not pat ourselves on the back for being good enough or smart enough to embrace the gospel. We should be driven to our knees in worship and wonder. Supernaturally, God has peeled back the scales of our spiritual eyes so that it is even possible that we see him. We have been regenerated. We have been granted the gifts of repentance and faith. And this was grace. This was not of ourselves. This should be on our mind as we seek him and the scriptures in our lips as we live out our day. Though sinful and undeserving of anything good, God, by his grace, has sought you and redeemed you. This is not just elementary Christianity. This this is everyday Christianity. Preach the gospel to yourself daily and be amazed again at the love that Christ has for you. By his grace, we are no longer his enemies, but we now have peace with God. All we do should be rooted and fueled by this wonderful truth, to the praise of his holy name. When we look at the word and at prayer, this is rooted and fueled by the effects of the gospel in our lives. This gracious gift of salvation from our just-deserved eternal penalty was brought about by particular actions through history. And this is the next thing we see in verse 4. We see Christ's atoning sacrifice. Christ's atoning sacrifice. In these verses we read, Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. It says here, Christ gave himself up for our sins. This, this core truth, that the death of Jesus Christ on a cross had a particular purpose, the atonement, this, this is the crux of Christianity. Our sin had purchased for us eternal punishment. We are guilty. We have done wrong in the eyes of God, and he is a just God. That me. Mean, that means he cannot just let sin go. He cannot and he will not just let boys be boys. He wouldn't be a good or just judge if he did this. We would not. We would not say a judge is good or just if he let a murderer or a rapist off the hook without any punishment handed down. This. This would be a vile and wicked judge. However, we're not simply looking at murderers and rapists here. We are looking at you and at me. Uh, we are looking at all of humanity, even. Even the smallest sin is seen as rebellion against a perfectly, infinitely holy and pure God. In, uh, in one of my favorite movies, Top Gun, the commander tells Tom Cruise that your ego is writing checks, your body can't cash, meaning that he will surely get his comeuppance if he continues to fly and behave recklessly. Um, like Maverick, our souls have written checks that we can't cash. We are incapable of paying this fine we will absolutely get our comeuppance. We don't have the ability in us to never sin, and the only recourse for a just judge would be our condemnation. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god that covers that covers just about everyone in the room yeah we have all been guilty of idolatry at some point we've we've loved the created more than we've loved the creator uh, we've all been guilty of greed putting ourselves and, and putting getting things before we put loving our neighbor as ourself. This is sin, and this is damning. But God intervened. He sent his son. He gave himself for our sins. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. By God's grace, he has personally covered the guilt with the blood of Christ, and he has purchased for himself a people of his own. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took our place, he paid our penalty, and he applied his righteous life to all who look to him in repentance and in faith. Look to Christ. Trust Christ. Realize that, that without Christ, all you have to look forward to after this life is judgment and eternal punishment. Christ has paid the penalty for you if you will repent of your sin and turn away from your sinful ways and turn to Christ in faith. Believe that he is the only hope that you have in this life or the next. Believe that he has paid the penalty for your sin, and that he has provided the righteousness that God has required. God has given grace and peace, but this is only through the shed blood of Jesus. This gospel truth that Jesus gave himself for our sins makes Christ the object of our affection and our faith, and on this truth we rest. First, we see that the salvation was given by God's grace. Second, we saw that this was accomplished through the atoning sacrifice of the Son. Third, we see we have had our deliverance provided. Our deliverance provided. Verse 4 says, He gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age. Christ's atoning sacrificial death has delivered us not only from eternal punishment, but he has also delivered us from this present evil age. This is is a particularly interesting phrase. Uh, Douglas Moo in his commentary on Galatians says, though this present evil age continues in force, believers are rescued from this present evil age evil age of sin and death and find their true identity in the new age that has broken into history through christ's death and resurrection we find ourselves living b- between two worlds what uh, what the theologians call the already and the not yet we live in light of the reality of the cross christ has broken into history he has paid our sin in full he has called us to himself and he has made us his people we live in the kingdom already, which was inaugurated by the life and the death of Christ. But this kingdom has not yet been fully consummated. The present evil age continues, and, and we live in the, not yet, in, the, in the not yet fully realized kingdom of God. Christ has recu- rescued us from the eternal penalty of sin, and he has rescued us from this present evil age, from the, from the power of sin that is contained within it. As Christians, we are no longer slaves to sin. In Romans, Paul elaborates. He says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. From the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin have have become slaves of righteousness. We have been set free from the power of sin, Christian, you no longer are held captive to sin in this present evil age, but you are free to vigorously and joyfully serve the Lord. Christ has provided our deliverance, and we love and serve him in response. The The Christian life is not one of drudgery and, and trying to obey rules. We have been freed through the deliverance provided by Christ himself to joyfully and willfully love and serve him all of our days. This is the fruit of true salvation, of true repentance and faith, This is what has been graciously given to us by the Lord. This freedom from the bondage of sin and freedom to love and to serve him out of an exultant heart is a wonderful blessing. So here here in Galatians, we we see that we have been granted salvation by God's grace. We see that this was accomplished through the death of the Son. We see that, that we have been delivered from the consequences and power of sin and, and finally, we see that this is all done to the glory of God. God is glorified. As we continue in the text, we see that, that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. God's purpose is revealed in salvation. These, these events come about. This plan was put into action because it is according to the will of the Father. None of this was outside of his control. None of this was plan B. From eternity past, God orchestrated that the Son would come to redeem fallen humanity, that he would do so via the cross. God's wrath was satisfied, sinners were justified, and all this was according to the good and the righteous will of our God and Father. Why was it done this way? Why Why did God choose to reveal himself this way? Why did he choose to save people this way? He did this to bring glory to himself. God is glorious. He is perfect and righteous and holy, and he alone deserves our praise. When we see the plan of redemption throughout history culminating in the cross, we can't help but worship our God. We praise him, for he alone is worthy of it. Jonathan Edwards said, All that is ever spoken of in the scriptures as an ultimate end of God's works, is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. The scriptures consistently, relentlessly point us back to the glory of God. We see see this throughout the entire narrative. We see this uh, all over the Psalms, and, and we see this most clearly in this doctrine of salvation. God is glorified through the act of redeeming his people. We look to him in humble praise, joy, and amazement for he has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. This gospel is not just a message to get us into the kingdom. This gospel is what keeps us pointing back to the glory of God. We preach this gospel, and we embrace its truths and implications daily. To him be glory forever and ever. R.C. Sproul has written a favorite children's book of ours. Uh, It's called The Prince's Poison Cup. In this book, he uses a king, a prince, and his subjects to teach the gospel message to young kids. The story begins with a great king. He has power and might to create this wonderful, life-giving kingdom. This kingdom has beautiful gardens and flowing streams, and it is filled with loyal subjects who love him and spend time with him. In the center of the kingdom, there is a fountain. The king loves his people But he instructs them that the fountain is off limits for them. It would hurt them, and they would surely be punished for rebelling against the king. You can already see where this is headed. Inevitably, they are deceived. They drink from this fountain. Their eyes are opened. Their hearts are hardened, and they rebel against the king. They go off, and they build their own kingdom. This kingdom is dark. It's full of wickedness and hate, and they want nothing to do with the king. Or his ways they've they've rejected him entirely; they are on their own path toward destruction. The king, being full of love, has already planned to save these people from their insurgents. He planned with the prince to break their to to uh, break their hearts, now tainted with rebellion and make them whole again. Now you see in in the new kingdom, the subjects have created there too is a fountain in the centre, but this fountain is disgusting and wicked and full of poison. It is a result of the actions that the town has taken. One drop of this poison would kill even a strong man. The prince, armed with a golden cup, has determined to go into the city among the subjects and drink this poison in the place of the people. See, if the prince could drink the poison, this this just rewards for the rebels' evil actions, the people would not have to drink it for themselves. As he walks into the city, the people hate him, they spit on him. They mock him. But steadfastly, the prince takes the cup. He fills it with poison, and he drinks it down to the last drop. Immediately, the prince dies. Darkness falls over the land. The evil townsmen rejoice. But then the king himself appears. And lovingly, powerfully, he approaches the sun. He touches him, and to everyone's surprise, the prince arises. He is alive. He has tasted death. He is absorbed the painful poison that was due the rebels and he is overcome the fountain once filled with dark murky poison has been transformed to pure flowing life-giving water with compassion in his heart the prince now looks to the townsmen and offers them to come and to drink from his cup come see what he has done for them something that none of them could do for themselves come and live This children's story reminds us of what Christ has done for us. We have revolted against him. We are all sinful. We have created a rebellious kingdom. We have eternal death and right punishment due us. But Christ, Christ has come. He has come among us. In his grace, he has extended peace from God. He has died for our sin. He has delivered us from this present evil age. And he has done all of this to bring glory to the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we praise you. You are holy and just, and you will not let sin go unpunished. But you are loving, and you are good. And in your compassion, you have given us grace and peace through your Son. You have delivered us from evil, and you have brought glory to yourself. Lord, this is something we did not deserve, something we cannot earn, and something we will not forget. You are our Lord, you are our Savior, and we worship and praise your holy name. Thank you for sending us, Jesus. May we always look to you in repentance and faith. I pray this is on our hearts and minds as we go from this place. Amen.